This week's news was dominated by Apple and the Worldwide Developers Conference, which kind of surprised us with a few big announcements in both software and hardware. While social media is still buzzing over the design of that beastly Mac Pro, calling it things like a cheese grater, we found ourselves impressed by some new functionality added to the iPad Pro. But underneath all of these fun announcements was a declaration of safety, a declaration that users and developers alike can take a better stance toward data privacy. The headliner? Sign on with Apple, a single sign-on apparatus that creates aliases per app so you don't have to give your actual email address to any of the apps that might be accessing your data. With the conversation around privacy coming to the forefront, I sit down with Brandon Miniman and TK Bay to discuss the state of privacy on the internet and in our own lives. Support for the Pocket Now Weekly podcast comes from Oregon State University. Earn your Oregon State MBA 100% online in a program that's designed to help you move up or make a career change. You can choose from specialized tracks in organizational leadership, business analytics, marketing, or supply chain and logistics management. Get where you're going faster with the Oregon State MBA. Learn more at mba.oregonstate.edu slash pocket now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the weekly brought to you by Pocketnow and XDA Developers, episode 361, recorded on June 3rd, 2019. YouTube viewers, you are enjoying the highlights of the show, after which we invite you to join in on the full conversation regarding Apple's announcements and their stance on privacy. In between those two main segments, we also ask the panel, what is in your pocket now? So let's get into the show. We begin with some thoughts on Apple's keynote, WWDC. All right, so usually on the podcast, uh, to start off, we tend to go through some of the main headlines of the week, give some reactions, then we get into our main topic. But if I'm honest, this week, it's kind of been dominated, the whole news cycle has been dominated by Apple, but there are some layers to what Apple announced earlier this week uh, that we're going to go through. First, however, let's get some device news out of the way, let's get some product news out of the way, and react to all of the announcements that were uh, given at WWDC. By the way, guys, did you know that they... that colloquially they call it dub dub it is yeah i every time i watch the video it's like dub dub dc i'm like what yeah (laughs) i saw people on twitter going like yeah it's my first time at dub dub and i was like who calls it that why are you calling it that (laughs) it's wwdc in any case uh did either of you watch the actual keynote um as it was happening Uh, i did i well actually let me say i i watched about an hour and a half and after the uh thousand dollar you know uh, infamous uh, part of the, the whole thing. Oh man, well, yeah, we're going to get to that later for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I, I watched most of it. Yeah, I think I, I went through most of it, and I, I saw a lot of good, exciting stuff. Yeah, Brandon, uh, any any quick thoughts on just like the general uh, announcement, the keynote itself? I w- yeah, I watched the entire thing just like I do every time I watch. Um, because I'm always looking for like those moments from the past where you would watch these keynotes or like an announcement from Apple or something. These were, this was years ago and something would be announced that was so amazing that you couldn't believe it was happening. Mm-hmm. And I, I look for those moments and once in a while you get like a half one of those. And in this WWDC, I don't think I found any of them, but I'm always looking for them because they happen sometimes. Also, oh, those nuggets that really excite you, because I feel like I feel like this was a one of the best WWDCs that I've seen in the last like 
few years, to be honest, because there's such a mixture. Apple always has WWDC, and then they have other events that happen um, that generally have the announcements that everyone's looking for, like the products and whatnot. This was a good mix. It was hardware and software-based uh, this year. So uh, let's start off with the software stuff. Uh, there were all these rumors leading up to WWDC actually happening in San Jose, uh, saying that iTunes was on its last legs. And I think it was really funny how on stage, none of the people actually use the words iTunes is dead. But let's be real. iTunes is practically dead by now, right? <laughs> to to a certain extent, yeah. We, we've seen the, uh, the, the purification, basically the, the different versions of the software now that will manage different parts of the uh, the OS or well, well, not the OS, the, the libraries, right? So you have the video library, your podcast library and content. So it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm hoping it actually does fall through exactly how they envision it and doesn't get too confusing for their core product users that don't like change. So that's, yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, Apple practically took iTunes and all of the stuff that it was able to do. By the way, that joke that they made at the beginning was kind of funny how like they added in a browser, the dock and all that. Yeah, because exactly, yeah. iTunes was becoming sort of the catch-all term for so many different services that are now going to be called Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, and Apple TV. They are going to be separate, let's say applications, but obviously separate services depending on what device you're using. Um, yeah. So iTunes in general, Brandon, like, do you have a sort of history with iTunes uh, <laughs> that you'd like to share? Or what are your thoughts on this particular announcement of the split? Yeah, I do have a, a, a horror story about iTunes. Oh. But what's, sup- what's super interesting about iTunes is that it was built for a world of the past where your computer was the server. It contained all the data. You didn't have a super fast internet connection. Mm. There was, there really was no cloud because storage was still very expensive and it had to be local on your computer. But now mm. your movies, your music, uh, all of your data exists on another computer somewhere. It's streamed, it's downloaded, and it's so much better because it's decentralized. It's available everywhere thanks to ubiquitous internet connections. My horror story with iTunes was back in 2007 when the iPhone 1 came out. The only way to activate the device was to plug it into iTunes. Oh, and yeah. and back then, it was not only going through Apple's activation servers, but it was hitting Singular's activation servers, if you remember. That's oh my God. the iPhone... Yeah, I haven't heard that word in a long time, Singular. <laughs> and, and like, obviously, Singular and Apple weren't prepared to activate millions of smartphones, a completely new smartphone. And... I remember I bought this $600 phone and it was the most amazing thing ever. If you guys remember that excitement and I finally had it and all I could do was slide to unlock, which was amazing. And you could slide to unlock and make an emergency call and that's it. And it was the first device with a capacitive touchscreen. So for four days, I would slide to unlock and touch the keypad and be like, oh my God, this is so sensitive compared to like all the previous screens. And it just took days and days and days to activate through iTunes. And it made me and I think millions of other people very upset. So I'm happy <laughs> we're, we're moving past that to a decentralized cloud-based existence. I mean, it's been happening for a while. And I'm glad that it's finally that Apple has finally gotten on board because iTunes has been a mess for a very long time. Yeah, we're going yeah. to deal with uh, subscription services in a little bit, especially when we get to some of the uh, deeper topics from WWDC. Uh, but yeah, any uh, any stories of iTunes? I mean, iTunes has been around for close to a decade now, huh? Probably even more than that at this point. 
So it's been around for a long, long time. It's been a I mean, well, yeah, no, exactly. It's it's been the the central file transfer system that you use to transfer everything. Because there's a lot of other things other than just the fact that you know. So they broke it up into three apps. But what I didn't hear from them at, on the keynote, what I realized is they didn't talk anything about file transfer, right? Your library, your your connections. So what are you using to sync up your information, like your locally stored stuff? Where you where do you do your backups and restores? Those things are are weren't really clearly flushed out. That's why I'm I'm hoping. They have a solution to that, or does iTunes actually reside, but in a smaller capacity? Maybe I, they'll rebrand it as a different thing. If I remember correctly, iCloud, correct, iCloud well, does yeah. all of it. Yeah, iCloud. Right? Until well, you run out of space on iCloud. <laughs> no, it, exactly. But it, how do you connect to iCloud from your from your desktop? That's what I meant. Mm. So for your desktop to connect to iCloud, that's where iTunes was the was the central connection, right? You synced up your library, and then you hit the checkbox that says "Upload to iCloud," and that's where you saw where your folders are. So unless they incorporate it in a different way, we may still see, uh, again, I, I feel like there's something missing in that. The puzzle is almost complete. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to know what happens to my data and how do I back up my, you know, how do we do a, an actual backup or restore of an iPhone, an iPhone or an, the brand new iPod? Yeah, if anybody out there is curious, um, the, I, I remember on stage they did say that when you plug in an iOS device, even the new iPad Touch, which kind of came out of nowhere, uh, which is why it was weird. The speculation about iTunes was really odd because an iPod Touch came out once again, like they revamped it. Mm -hmm. Any case, you take any of those devices, you plug it into a MacBook, uh, for example, a MacBook, and uh, it will actually show up in Finder this time. Like it's not going to pull up iTunes anymore. But I don't know, like you said, TK, I don't know if all of the features from iTunes that people use like backup and restore are going to be in finder um so yeah that is that is a, a puzzle piece that we have to figure out yeah because uh, updates come automatically ota but mm -hmm. uh, it's the backup and restore that always worry me because uh that's where a lot of people if let's say you lose your iTunes, your iphone or your ipod touch the brand new one but if you have a backup your data is at least there you can restore it to a new phone yeah indeed so, yeah. you're talking about data redundancy because like if you take your phone and you do an iCloud backup and then you throw it in the toilet and flush it down the toilet and then you go out and buy another iPhone, um, you log into iCloud and it says today you, you know, backed up your if, if, if you're back if your iCloud storage limit hasn't been reached. Exactly. Yes. You're gonna get like a third of your is, pictures back. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll get whatever your limit was and whatever you have there. But yeah, no true backup, especially when you're buying like the five hundred and twelve or the two fifty six, those massive you know, phones, not everybody had, I mean, I think most everybody's standard account was five gigabytes for iCloud unless they upgrade. Something so, like that, yeah. Yeah, so that it, you're right. It does do an auto restore, but if you're exceeding it, you're only getting whatever was able to be backed up. Yeah, I, uh, I find it really funny. We're talking about backup and restore. And when I think of iTunes, I get, I, I think of like my horror story with iTunes. I love that they were horror stories. Like Brandon, like set that tone. <laughs> but yeah, I remember back when I was in college and university, I used to do tech support for, I used to do student tech support actually. So whenever people's iPhones or iPods, um, and at the time, I think the iPod touch was just like, just became a thing during my time in college. Um, they, there were always people coming in asking for help with them and we needed to have their laptop with them also. So it's not like they could come in with their iPhone and say, Hey, can you help me with this? And then we connected to one of the Macs in the office to our iTunes. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't yeah. going to work. Yeah. We always needed no, to have all of their equipment with them, which is like, that was when I started to think this Apple ecosystem thing is a little bit. It's a little too much, in my opinion, uh, because you need to have everything in one place. Kind of like what you were saying, Brandon, that everything was sort of in this central location and you need to have it all with you. Um, so tech support back then was a nightmare when it came to Apple devices, which is why I stuck with Windows uh, personally. 
Um, but in any case, so we're going to move from that device, uh, the iPhones and the iPad, uh, iPods to the iPad. Now, what I found really interesting now, Brandon, you were saying that you were looking for those nuggets from, uh, the announcement from the keynote that would really excite you. I was personally, I don't even own an iPad and I was pretty excited about all of the announcements that they had for the iPad because, uh, amongst other things, you can now use USB drives in it. Which means you could connect a, a thumb drive or a or a Samsung T5 like an SSD SD card yeah, SD, no, SD card reader mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, you could use you can use mouse uh, a mouse with it now I was gonna say mice or mouses I was you can use mice with uh, the iPad now and then there's this thing they did called Sidecar where they basically took what was once a Kickstarter third party application <laughs> where you could use the iPad as a secondary display and now it's just built into iPad OS which is what they're calling the operating system now. So, yeah, I think that I was actually really excited about all the iPad stuff. I don't know what your guys' thoughts were on, on the, the tablet side of things. I personally, uh, I work on a MacBook Pro and I have an iPad Pro, so that was just super fantastic. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to get, you know, just everything in. I'm, I'm loading the, the beta this weekend uh, on my iPad Pro because all the iPad Pros are supported, which is really, really nice, oh, nice. Even though mine is a little older, I think the 9.7. So no, definitely. I, I like all the options, uh, the, the OS optimizations, the, the fact that we can actually have, have widgets on the actual home screen now by just sliding from the left, uh, that dark UI on it, uh, the optimizations for, it's literally bridging the gap between what the, uh, the MacBook Air kind of performs in and where your smartphone kind of stops. Mm. It's that area, you know, and, and they're trying to revitalize the tablet, which I think is a really good thing. It's a productivity beast. Uh, IO is definitely, it was a big issue for us. And of course, native file system. The ability to find what you downloaded was a big thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm, I'm really excited. I can't wait to get it on and, uh, just to play around with it this weekend. Are you, uh, are you a big iPad user, Brandon? Uh, I used to be. And I think TK is right that they're kind of bridging the gap between like they took this phone OS and they made it onto a big screen and they never really went back to make it make sense for a bigger screen. And I don't I think this gets closer. There's, you know, there's better ways that it takes advantage of split screen multitasking and, um, you know, a better home screen. But I think what most people wanted, especially if you look at like the incredible hardware and power of the new iPad Pros, I think what people wanted was a, a closer experience to like almost like a touch friendly Mac OS. And I think yeah. that's kind of what people thought that iPad, the iPad operating system was going to be if you go back to 2010. And so I think iPad OS is such like a, it's, it's, it's better. It's improved, but it's really, it's really a half measure. It's still a blown up phone operating system with a little bit more. Right. Yeah. A lot of people were saying that iPad OS does not make the iPad a laptop by any stretch of the imagination. Like, I feel like it's getting closer though, especially with the advent of or the emergence of certain applications like Adobe Premiere Rush. Um, Mm -hmm. and, Obviously, productivity and Word documentation on the iPad has always been quite good. So I feel like it's getting closer to there. And this is one of those episodes where I feel like um, Jaime is currently traveling. So that's the reason why he's not on the show. Uh, but I feel like once we got to this part, it would it would have been Jaime's class of like, oh, my God, are you kidding? Yeah, this was the best part of the show. And like <laughs> he's like so happy because he's, he's such a big iPad yeah, yeah. advocate, you know? <laughs> Did you guys uh, – um, I – we're all very tech savvy, I think, and probably most people that are listening are very tech savvy. When they started showing all the ways you can do gestures to move things around and manipulate text mm. and and slide and swipe, 
I, I got lost, which is weird for me. Like I, I almost wanted to consult like a user manual if I, if and when I get iOS 13, which I, which I will. Did you guys feel like it was just a lot of learning? It does. It it does feel a little less intuitive than the tap and hold. I agree. Yeah. Um. You know the whole was it the three finger pinch and the three finger. Um. I I forget the term that they used. Um. Expand. I don't know. But yeah, I I love that the gestures work really well. But yes, if you were to tell, let's say, uh, uh, a mom or dad or a grandpa or a grandpa, a grandma and grandpa, like how to use those functions, it might not really click so well like the the fact that they did the undo as the three finger swipe to the left i think that was what it was um that seems intuitive but let's face it a lot of people have been shaking their ipads for (laughs) for years (laughs) well and they still said you know you don't they did it a couple points where they're like oh you don't have to shake your ipad anymore and then later on it's like well you can still shake it if you want like (laughs) it's the, the, the the it it will take some time like with any kind of Apple innovation or move forward, I guess, in a certain way. But the reality, I think a lot of us, if they're, if they're really doing heavy text editing and if they're using the pencil, I'm assuming the pencil will have some of these gestures as well. Mm. So there may still be augmented by those. But if they're using full touch, it's nice to have gestures and just, you know, you'll get used to them. I mean, we all did the same when they went to the, uh, you know, with the iPhone, when they left, you know, took away the capacitive home button and then suddenly oh, yeah. everybody had to swipe up and or you had to swipe around. So it's, it's funny. I feel like I feel like that was the if I could, if I were to sum up WWDC in like a sentence, it would be that they did more adding than subtracting because I think that's what Apple's yeah. been known yeah. for the last couple of years, and that's why we're also. I mean, the, the level of skepticism for Apple products has kind of been at an all time high. I feel like, and this year it was just adding, 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 going nuts. Speaking of which, we already touched upon iOS thirteen a little bit. Um, so dark mode, update applications, uh, Siri sounds much more natural now uh, because of neural processing, which is which is cool. It's great, but I don't know how much that actually helps the functionality of Siri, which everyone argues on one side or the other. Like there are people who love Siri. There are plenty of other people, normally people who uh, generally the people who don't use Siri are the people who have experienced Google Assistant. <laughs> Um, but that's that's just my assessment but yeah uh, iOS 13 enhancements with Siri and also Apple Maps Uh, I think it was uh, Brandon you had some thoughts about Apple Maps in particular uh, when it came to the announcement at WWDC iOS 13 finally seems to bring Apple Maps to parity with (laughs) Google Maps right like like they've been driving their, their cars around for millions of miles trying to capture what is really street view, but they came up with an Apple-y name for it. And uh, it's just, it's it's Google Maps, and it has been better for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why? TK? Oh, okay. sorry, go for it, Brandon. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, why are people so obsessed with dark mode? Can somebody explain that to me? <laughs> that is, that is kind okay, of a good so question. <laughs> it, it's a good segue to me because that's exactly what I was excited about. Exactly. So uh, dark mode for the most part, if nothing else, especially on AMOLED displays, saves you battery, if nothing mm-hmm. else. There's that There's that always been why Android, for me as far as an Android user, why I always like Android, uh, you know, basically a dark mode on any device I get, as long as it's not LCD. Uh, but for aesthetics and for reading at night, it, it still also looks a little bit cooler. It's also a, the first time we've ever seen a theme 
type of situation comes straight from Apple to give us the ability of changing the entire overall experience as opposed to being, you know, everything is just white and so bright when you're sitting in your bed unless you have to turn on certain functionality to take out some hues out. Dark mode aesthetically looks beautiful. It's, in my opinion, cleaner and just gives us the option, uh, you know, and, and they did a really good job of it. I like the, the fact that they didn't just put dark mode in the system the way we've done it on Android. They did it with, you know, with maps, with calendar, with um, iMessage, all of the things. And they did it right. They spent the time and they gave us the, the right aesthetics. And I'm hoping Android kind of catches up in the sense of getting all their main applications on Google side themed correctly. Yeah, it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those simple settings that I feel like the moment you experience it for the first time and you use it on the regular, it becomes one of the first things you toggle on every new phone, especially for us like tech reviewers. I think on every Android phone that I've ever used, if it comes up, if I go to display settings and dark mode is there, I'm like, boom, turn that thing on. Um, Brandon, do you not use like night shift or night mode at night, like to ease up on your eyes? Uh, no, that's, I that's, do. I, that's part I do of what dark actually, mode does. Yeah, it, and, and TK TK's right that it's it helps with readability. And actually, Apple did it right the same way Huawei does it, where you can you can set dark mode to automatically toggle at sunset, and it's just like mm-hmm. it's it's a really nice thing to like. You forget it's on. Like you forget that you actually toggle the automatic changing, but then like mm-hmm. when you're sitting in bed or whatever, and it, things are darker, it does feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Apple did put in that uh, that ske- automatic sunset sunrise scheduling into yeah. iOS. And, and Android Q in, in Android's defense, of course, Android Q will definitely have that in there as part of their system. But it's it's done at the part the operating system level, and it doesn't theme like Calendar or Chrome or other. Those are still independent applications that are updated to the to the Play Store, which you know we barely have like beta versions of dark mode in Chrome. It's not 100% flushed out. Calendar just got updated. Uh, Dialer I think has been updated, but it I just want Android to have it fully in there, and I think Q will bring that with it. It just again, it's nice to see how it looks so nice on the eye on, on the on the ecosystem. I, Apple did a good job on that. Like I said, they designed it very well. I just always love I, I I can see where you're coming from with this perspective, Brandon, because even I scoffed a little bit when because we love it on Android. Like it's great when it shows up. I think Oxygen OS has been consistently the best place to 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 have dark mode, at least at the moment. Uh until Android Q, like you said, TK. Uh but yeah, during the announcement when they were like, We're finally bringing dark mode to iOS, and everyone was like, Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> um, but Speaking of the audience kind of going crazy over an announcement, uh, there is one There is one that kind of floored everybody. And I like the way that Tim Cook actually announced it. And he said, there's one category that we have yet to fill in our computing segment. And that is, of course, the Mac Pro. And I'm sure all of you out there have been seeing the tweets and all of the little memes that are coming out. Uh, yeah, we're talking about the cheese grater of a computer. Um, I didn't even think of a cheese grater when I first saw it. I was thinking of Anthony Gaudi from Barcelona, like that big, <laughs> like it looks like that oh, apartment yeah, complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought that first, but uh, as far as an editing beast, I feel like we're we're seeing Apple actually go so far into the creative segment, harder than any other company has, uh, unless you build your own PC with like 10 NVIDIA Quadros. This one is like, it, they've, they've really walked you through how this machine truly helps the creative. And I think it's really awesome. With the Intel Xeon, uh, there are 
like arrays of graphics cards that you can use in order to get 8K scrubbing and editing without having to use proxies. Like, and that's crazy. And those terms probably go over some of our listeners' heads, but let's just put it this way. If you are a creative in any stretch of the imagination and you work above 1080p video, this is one of those machines where it's like, this is the Ferrari of <laughs> desktop computers for creatives. Um, any thoughts from you guys about the Mac Pro? I, I, <laughs> the sheer, the, 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 just the, the amount of power that they have in there, I just, wow. <laughs> I, I, I can see who can benefit from it. I, I also realize that um, this is, it, this is intended for a very, very specific market that mm-hmm. a lot of us, or at least personally, I don't see myself ever fitting into just from the workload that I have, because I personally prefer, I prefer horsepower and I prefer the, the ability of using all of those things, but I'd like it to be mobile. Mm. I, I love the fact that it's a great workstation, but it requires it to be in one spot. But as you guys do, you know, we go to events, we go to shows, we do things like that. And this, it, it's not very functional to somebody like us, but I'm very excited to, that it is there. And it also means that hopefully the industry will push towards improving some of the specifications and get us something closer to that. Yeah. Well, like I was saying before, you could you can create a desktop PC that has... Not necessarily the same specifications, but powerful specs. And I think Brandon, that was uh, that was a point you wanted to touch upon. Yeah. Um, same same as TK. I would never have a need for this, but <laughs> but um, but you know, movies are made from start to end in a lot of cases on devices like this. So for the creators, yeah. this is going to enable them to do great things. It's going to push the industry forward. Um, yeah, I recently built a PC and like. It has 32 gigabytes of RAM, which like it's a it, you know it's a lot, but it's not. It's more you know I probably use at most 20 gigs of RAM at one time. But this Mac Pro can be specced up with 1,500 gigabytes of RAM. Like I I can't even like it's it's not even po- there's no motherboard that lets you have 1,500 gigabytes of RAM. It's just it's it's jaw dropping. Yeah, and indeed. it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome for people. You know, yeah. like for for example, um, you know, Marquez Brownlee will film in 8K and output in 4K, and you use all of that all of that pixel data to be able to crop in at 100 percent on various things. Well, guess what's coming next? 8K is coming next, and what are, you're going to have to film at 16K, and you know it's coming. <laughs> So, so a device like this will allow people to film at 16K and crop in at 8K. And you need a lot of power. You need four GPUs and 28 processing cores and a terabyte of RAM to be able to handle so many pixels moving yeah. on the screen. It's going to be awesome. I think that's such a hilarious uh, example because, you know, much love to MKBHD. He's a dear friend of ours. And, like, you know, we see him at these events from time to time. We get to talk to him once in a while. And I keep thinking, like, not to minimize anything that us YouTubers do or that he does, but, like, using a RED camera, using a 16K or an 8K capable camera for YouTube is it still makes me chuckle because maybe one day mkbhd or marquez rather is going to end up being like a huge production company or anything like that i know that some of our youtuber friends kind of move into that realm uh but yeah i mean with the capabilities and the god mode that this computer has for people like marquez i feel like they could probably create feature length films at some point and i feel like they should uh because i mean don't gotta use all that power right (laughs) so um Okay, now the last thing, and maybe maybe just a couple of hot takes on this. 
they made their own monitor. Um, so th- it's funny because like I, when you think about Apple over the last like two to three years, it's always about MacBooks, portability, all of that stuff. Now mm-hmm. desktop, the Mac Pro, they did kind of call it the trash can, but now it's the cheese grater. And now we're back to a display. The display looks really awesome. And they have this reference point of like a reference monitor that's $45,000. And yet their monitor is like six, six K, I think. So it's not, not only six K resolution, yeah. but six thousand dollars. Um, six <laughs> day HDR. And, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, part of the reason why it's such an expensive thing is because the monitor stand is really expensive too. Imagine paying a thousand dollars for the thing that helps your monitor stand up even the audience i might even cut the b-roll in right now even the audience reacted in the most hilarious way when they brushed past like it was almost as if they were trying to say it as fast as possible oh and the monitor stand is one thousand dollars yeah 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 and imagine if you order the monitor and then the stand is in black order Oh my gosh! <laughs> and you get it. You get it. You get a five thousand dollar monitor, and you're looking at it, it's like, hey, it looks great on the floor. Mm-hmm, exactly. Or you just like put it up on the wall or something. Like that. No, no, that's that's a two hundred dollar accessory, my friend. Oh, that's right. The mount is two hundred bucks. The mount is not included either. It's a it's a separate thing. The monitor comes by itself. So it's either you go with the two hundred dollar attachment that you need to have your own arm for, or you go with the thousand dollar attachment that if it's on back order, then yeah. Oh man, that's so nuts. Um, Brandon, would you would you pay five thousand dollars for a monitor? Not for what I use my computer for. If I did, I would skip the mount and just like lean it up against the refrigerator, just <laughs> save some money that way. <laughs> just mag- magnetize it to the refrigerator. Yeah, make, make an entire smart monitor. Or what, smart fridge. Yeah, totally. Yeah, That'd yeah. be amazing. <laughs> and you'll have the you'll have the cheese grater right next to it to be able to you know finish yeah. off the uh, Parmesan. Good point. You could just when you're ready to uh, make finish your your pizza, you just open up the fridge and expose a little bit of the cheese grater and just create your mozzarella right onto your pie. I just have this, I just have this image of you in your house with your family having like, having taken out a second mortgage to pay for all of this first. And then you have like five of these monitors plastered all throughout your house. And then you have the, 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 the Mac pro on its wheels, wheeling it to each monitor. <laughs> that way you can work on it. And then of course, one of the monitors is on the fridge. Of course. <laughs> Our conversation today around privacy actually has a special sponsor, Hackable, an original podcast from McAfee. From the news to episodes of Black Mirror, stories about cybercrime are all over the place. If you're concerned about your personal devices, like your webcam or your voice assistant spilling your secrets, Hackable looks to answer those questions and more. Each episode found on all major podcast platforms has Hackable host Jeff Siskin inviting a white hat hacker to try and hack a device he's using. And in season four, you can see if these show-friendly hackers can crack smartphones, printers, even smart kettles. Learn if the internet-connected essentials that power your life also leave your personal data vulnerable and then learn how to protect yourself from letting your love of devices put you at risk. Listen and subscribe to Hackable today on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Stitcher. All right, and we're back from our break. Uh, as usual, after our break, we have a recurring segment here on the Pocket Now Weekly where we ask our guests, what is in your pocket now? I will start real quick, though, because I just got done unboxing two phones that I'm really excited for. Uh, so the first one that I want to talk about is, I mean, I got to talk about the gaming phones here. So this is the Red Magic 3, and it's already got that LED going in the middle, and it's this is like the MSI laptop of phones right now. Um, and it's 
it's honestly it's really dope i already tried out the red magic mars and i thought it was a great phone um this the the up triggers over here really help for gaming uh but in general it's just kind of like a beast of a phone it even has a fan in it i'm sure some of you out there listeners and uh, and viewers you probably saw a couple of teardowns where they revealed that there's like a fan right here <laughs> so not only is there a cooling system and a bunch of vents there's an actual fan inside but i think the phone that really excites me right now and lord knows there's so many phones that I, we have to catch up with uh now there's another one i actually got my hands on the zen phone 6 Ooh. And that was face unlock <laughs> that I just did. Wow, that's fast. I'll do I'll do it one more time. Actually, um, there you go. This wow. is a fun phone already, just for the creative in me, because you have the Sony 48 megapixel sensor. I don't even know if I'm. I think it's that one, and then you have a wide angle lens also. But then when you have it in the camera app. You can actually make those two sensors the front-facing camera, which I think is so cool. So you have high-quality main camera turns into a high-quality front-facing camera. That's it's it's great. That's the reason why these form factors are so unique. But don't sleep on them. There's a reason why these are happening. And for a phone like this that's actually priced lower than many of the flagships, and it has flagship specifications, including a 5,000 milliamp hour battery. That's uh wait. This one has the 5,000 milliamp hour battery. Right? Yeah, yeah. The I know the Red Magic Three does, but I'm trying to remember if this. The Red one. Magic Three has it. Yeah. Oh, I, the Red Magic Three has it. This does. Yeah, that's the 5,000. Yeah. Okay, my mistake. But in any case, still has flagship specs. Snapdragon 855. Um, and yeah, it's still priced lower than many of the other flagships, and you get to use the main cameras as your front. I love it. In any case, uh, as I fumbled through uh, my version of that, uh, what is in your pocket now, TK? So for me, I'm I'm actually still hanging in with the uh, you know the OnePlus Seven Pro. I'm I'm really really I really like the phone. I like I like just the aesthetics with some of the some of the improvements that the cameras are coming in. I like the just the overall form factor, the touch response. Software is being updated. We're getting better response on it, and just overall, I, I like it's a big phone, easy to enjoy content on it. And then um, now, somewhat of an oldie, uh, I actually just switched back to my Mate Twenty Pro. Mm. Wow. I had uh, I was using the uh, Honor 20 Pro for some time, and then I had to switch back. And uh, still, by far, one of the, one of the best performers, uh, battery life, cameras, and just overall aesthetics. It's just right size of a device, and it has the curvatures on the side. So I, I, I like them. I'm I'm sticking with those for this week for at least the next couple of days, and I'll probably be switching again. Yeah, um, the Mate 20 Pro was like last year's. I feel like it was one of the final examples of a flagship phone that's easy to handle. Mm-hmm. 2019 yeah. has been a completely different ball game. <laughs> no, no, everything. Yeah, size is basically just who who can get the seven inches and go beyond at this point. It sounds like. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Brandon, what is in your pocket now? I am uh, still on the OnePlus Seven Pro, mm-hmm. although um, yeah, yeah, same colors, TK and everything. Uh, yesterday, the OnePlus Seven went on sale in various places. And, you know, I've been um, lusting over this, the regular 7 for, for, I think, like a month and a half now. I think it's <laughs> going to be such such a good form factor. But, of course, they're not selling it in the U.S. So I, this morning, uh, placed an order for the OnePlus 7 uh, from a shop in Hong Kong. And, nice. um, yeah, and uh, it's, it's going to come in the next few days, and I'm excited. All right. That's awesome. Um, any, uh, so I think that the, uh, the camera has been one of those points of contention among all of mm-hmm. us with the OnePlus 7 Pro. Have you two, since you're using it as your daily drivers, how have your experiences been with this phone and its cameras and its pop-up camera and whatnot? So uh, the, 
the, the mix, the, I would say this, the experience on the camera with the OnePlus 7 Pro is a little bit mixed. If you if you use it for whatever we have right now, the software is getting better. We are we, we just saw some updates, and uh, they are promising updates and working on the software. It obviously seems to be something on their mind. It's not like they're ignoring it. Uh, it's it's not there yet, and I've installed GCam on it, so that was one of my ways of fixing some of the concerns. And it's just uh, you know, and, and if you guys, by the way, we have a video on over at the XDA channel. You know, just doing a quick demo with the GCam, how to install it, how to get it configured. If, if you're concerned. Uh, so for me, camera-wise, I'm happy. I like it. Uh, you know, the night mode is really nice. Uh, performance overall is really good, and uh, it just keeps getting better. It's the phone that keeps getting better for me, which is really nice. I just want battery life to be good when I'm running, you know, QHD and 90 hertz at the same time. That's my only thing right now. I just want long battery life like what we used to, mm -hmm. and having all the settings maxed out. Yeah, camera's going to be really important for you, Brandon, coming up soon, right? Yeah, I've got a kid. Um Got a kid coming, and the the camera on the Seven Pro is very good, but I would never want to rely on it right now um, in a situation where like I need really good pictures. Um, a lot of the time, you get a fantastic picture. I think more times than not, the pictures I take on my Seven Pro come out better than they would on like a Galaxy S10 or any other Samsung. But it's it's too risky. Too many of the times, pictures and video on the 7 Pro are are soft. And, you know, softness can ruin, just ruin the whole damn moment. So um, mm -hmm. when, my, um, when my baby comes around in late June, I will have two different phones because um, I can't think of a phone that is stellar at video and stellar at photos. And by stellar, I mean best-in-class perfectly reliable every time it's going to be great so what I'll, you guys can probably guess this in two seconds what phone do you think i'll have for pictures i'm gonna say the p30 pro <laughs> oh really i was gonna say the pixel I, I <laughs> josh is right josh is right in this case but T tk yeah. that's a that's a good second choice um okay so pixel 3 uh for photos and for video what do you guys think Probably the Samsung. Uh, I don't know. So for video, the best way, honestly, I'm going to say an iPhone. Yes, that's that's uh, what I think too. iPhone XS. That's one thing. That's one thing that I yeah. Um, video on an iPhone is just clean. There's so no question. So good. Yeah, it's and it's consistent. It's consistent. When he said he wanted it to be consistent all the time. Okay, that's and fair. just you know, and especially with when you have a young one, you don't want to fumble through settings. You want to be able to turn it on. Take the video. Take the take picture. The picture. Take yeah, it, yeah, you want you want your video and to be consistently lacking in contrast and always have HDR on and there's no shadows or anything yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. Oh, yeah, Without I, sounding I, like I a hater, that. that is what the iPhone does. Like it, it 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 evens out the image so much that you have no shadows. <laughs> like that's what smart HDR does. And we've somehow gotten to a point. I think uh, the homie David Immel would would agree with me here. He's been tweeting about it a lot recently um, about how phones have prioritized HDR so much, including the iPhone, that we no longer have contrast in our photos and videos. It's kind of ridiculous now. <laughs> Everyone's just throwing HDR all all over the place. But I agree with you. Uh, consistently good video quality. Yes, the iPhone for sure. Uh, personally, I would have gone for the S10, but um, or rather uh, even a Pixel with attachment lenses so that would that would have been my probably my third or fourth choice That's interesting um, 
In any case, uh, let's go ahead and move into our main topic, uh, which is very much related to the first segment of the show where we did some hot takes on WWDC. One huge point at WWDC made by Tim Cook and the whole of the company, honestly, in every single portion of the announcement, uh, privacy. Now, I think that this is a very, uh, this is going to be a very interesting topic for us to talk about. Everyone has different thoughts on this. And I think of the two people that <laughs> I'm outnumbered here because I don't, I obviously I, I don't have a family. I don't have kids or anything like that. I think privacy takes on a much bigger role in a parent's life than it does for somebody like myself, uh, where I'm just signing up for subscription services all willy-nilly and whatever. (laughs) Um, But without taking any swipes at anyone in particular, Apple made a lot of moves to position their ecosystem as the best place for safe data. And one of the main announcements that they made was something called Sign-On with Apple. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you out there who are listening and watching right now remember uh, all of the different social media buttons that might come up on any application you use on an Android phone or even on an iPhone where you can use your Google sign-in in order to get in easily so you don't actually have to type in your username and your password. The same goes for Twitter, for Facebook. Anyone out there who uses PUBG Mobile or plays PUBG Mobile probably signed in using Facebook. Um, but yeah, this is Apple's version of it. And with every application that you use sign on with Apple, uh, when you use this button, it creates a alias email of sorts. That way, it would actually curb spam. You can turn off any one of the aliases that are created for any of the applications that you sign on with Apple uh, in order to stop correspondence or data tracking or even spam from those particular applications. Um, so I wanted to throw to you guys about privacy and in particular, this new feature called sign-on with Apple. I think the, the, well, so that last part that you, you started off with, Josh, which is the ability of creating the alias, I think was a, was a very, like when I heard that, I was like, that is such a smart way of doing it. And it's, I, I, I realize that it's something that we can all do if you have, if you decide to run your own mail server, but not everybody will run their own mail server if they're not running a website or so on. But just the ability of not having your own personal email, getting bombarded with emails, getting information, you could just basically put it in. I'm hoping they implement it and it works as simply as they're saying because the reality is, again, it all relies on the end user's experience once it comes out. Do we, I mean, is, you know, how do you change the proxy once you're basically you know, done with it? And how do you know where it's coming from in, in the sense of what account? If, if it's sold and you're starting to get spam on it, uh, does it just all come into one inbox? That whole process, I, I always worry about the details, but in theory, I think it's a good idea. Uh, and I see something like that basically uh, jumping to other ecosystems very quickly. I, I don't think they'll be able to make it very exclusive for a long time. Mm, yeah. Uh, Brendan, any thoughts on uh, this particular Apple feature that was announced? Yeah, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I kind of uh, I kind of do it in a more amateurish way. When I sign up for an email account, I add a plus uh, to the end of my email address, which, of course... Like if my email address is brandon at gmail.com, I can change my email address to brandon plus um, coffee subscription at gmail.com or anything else like that. And it will still go to brandon at gmail.com. But when it gets into Gmail, I can then apply filters to, uh, you know, if I want to never see brandon plus coffee, whatever.com, I can just block them all out. So mm-hmm. People with I, – I don't know if this works with every email service, but with Gmail, you can create an infinite number of email emails derived from your email address and use them for filtering later. So it sounds like this is kind of like that but in a more sophisticated, more controlled way. And I think it's a great way to um, 
have some increased privacy when you're signing up for all these things we put our email address into. Yeah. Yeah. And everything has an app. Everything requires a sign up. Everything needs an account. Even if you later on link up the services, even with the smart home stuff, at the end, you still have multiple accounts. Yeah. This is, uh, it's automated, which I think it's good. Which kind of brings me to a couple of thoughts about privacy in general. I wanted to get a bit more existential with this conversation because, like I mentioned before, you two probably have more reason to be as discerning as possible with your privacy because you have children, you have families and whatnot. So I just kind of wanted to hear how you both feel about privacy in tech in general it's a huge topic right now and i i, I kind of i linked uh, in our show notes uh, or rather just show notes internally i linked to an op-ed from the new york times saying that one of the um it, it it's kind of odd that tech companies are basically fetishizing privacy that they're using the term privacy and just privacy in general as a selling point when probably intrinsically as citizens of the United States or citizens of the world, we should all probably try to be less liberal with our data. Um, and now the companies are trying to make it so that, no, you're safe with us. No, you're safe with us. And it's it, it might be damaging in the long run. I'm not sure where you guys fall on this. I thought privacy was a right, not a privilege. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that is a really good point to, to, to make. Uh, and in, in the world of data right now that we live in with IoT and subscription services and all these crazy things, like it just seems like we are taking for granted where our data is going and what it's actually being used for. And it's, I don't know, it's an interesting time. Um, and with Apple actually making such a big, everyone really is, because even Google talked about it a lot at Google IO. And now we have Apple with WWDC. Um, so, I mean, yeah, they're they're not they're not providing us a, a path saying your data is safe in the sense of the oh don't worry nobody's going to get it but yeah but they're still getting the same data inputs and they're still analyzing it and using <laughs> source data I mean anything that you get or you log into and you use for free at some point or another uses your usage data to run some type of information and basically analyzing it you know using Google Maps using Gmail there's a lot of things in there that even if you log in you know securely. The server side still collects data, so there's mm -hmm. always going to be that exchange, that that marriage that we agree to, kind of in a certain way, to a certain point, to allow a certain part of our information to be tracked. That's yeah. this is how our ecosystem is right now. I, I could pull up any number. <laughs> Brandon, do you need to turn that light on again? <laughs> um, well, don't I look good? I'm really tan. Exactly. <laughs> Just kind of flail your arms all. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it worked. It worked. It worked. Um, yeah, I had to replace my light a second ago uh, as well. I probably would just leave all of that in, honestly. Uh, but in any case, um, back to privacy. The I could pull up any number of news articles, uh, an equal amount on both ends, where on the one side, you have all of these services that are getting breached. Just recently, Quest Diagnostics, which is a blood work medical service in the U.S., had its data breached. Which means that people's medical histories could have been could have been compromised, for example. And for every story of a breach, there's also stories of companies trying to make it so that you have control over your data. Amazon is uh, saying that you can take your Echo devices or your um, A devices. I don't want to trigger anybody's uh, devices. Uh, you can tell it, like literally via saying something to that device, you could say, delete all of my recorded voices or recorded voice recordings. Uh, same thing with Google Assistant, uh, using any of the uh, Google Home applications and whatnot. So it's crazy how there are so many stories of 
what's what could happen to your data and then there's all these stories of how we're trying to help you control your data and it's almost like watching the the local news like you you get you get really freaked out in one <laughs> in one segment and then you're given information in another one uh that hopefully helps you but we don't really know like there's just so much data out there um speaking of there's so much data out there one of the questions i always bring up when we talk about privacy is how many subscription services do you guys use like let's take a quick stock of all of the data that we put out there into the data into the data world <laughs> oh man a total actual subscription wow okay that's a tough number i have I mean, between, are we also including podcasts, right? Because those things, you know, like weekly, because those things are subscriptions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say about maybe 10 to 12, just, you know, ones that I use quite regularly that I actually log into and make sure that I manage my data in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About 12 of them. There's a ton, right? I mean, you could already probably, like, on for any given person, you could probably name off, at the very least, Netflix, Spotify, um, what are some other ones? YouTube, YouTube yeah. If they have, YouTube, yeah, Hulu. exactly. YouTube, yeah. There's some. It's become such a ubiquitous thing yeah. at this point. Brandon, do you have any um, subscription service? Like, how many subscription services do you? I, I saw you counting on your fingers. <laughs> yeah, I was running out of fingers. Um, yeah, I I have a lot of subscription services, but some of them, like, I don't really have much of a concern. Like my podcast player that I log into, like. If somebody got a hold of which podcasts I listen to, like, fine, it's boring. I don't care. But like, when it comes to other more private things, like the photos I take or the emails I send or the text messages I send, privacy is obviously very important. And um, I sometimes think about how much Google, for example, knows about me because I tend to use Android more. And if I, if I were an iOS user, it would be Apple. And I think like, yeah, it's very important to me that the content that I give to Google stays private. But private from who? Private from Google? Because I don't think Google would care about my boring life and the pictures I take and the emails I send. Private from the government? I don't think the government cares about the pictures I take or the emails I send. Private from what? Who? You guys? Yeah, I don't, I don't want you guys to see my emails and pictures. Private from a stranger who's trying to get my identity? Yeah, definitely don't want that. So with, with privacy, it's like, the question is privacy from whom? And yeah, there's, I, that's a point that I used to make when it came to even like, we're not, <laughs> we're finally having a week where we're not talking about Huawei at length, but I did want to like bring it up just, just for a second here where, if there is data being breached, if there is data being recorded, I want to know what it's used for. Because I think by and large, many of us, even if we are online personalities, like we're recording a video podcast right now, even if we are mm-hmm. online personalities, it's not as if we do anything that is either illegal, nefarious, or just negative in any which way. Like we don't really have... Hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> we don't really have that much to hide. You know, I guess that's that, that's how I would view it. Um Exactly, Obviously, yeah. like I was saying earlier, that layer though is you know when when you are responsible for more than just yourself, then of course that changes things. So I can empathize in that case, and I think that's another thing that Jaime would probably bring up because obviously he has family that yeah. he, he doesn't want them to he doesn't want their data to be to be breached, their privacy to be invaded. You know, um, 
as far as uh, as far as the measures that are being taken outside of the Apple camp, um, we do have a couple of moves towards better privacy, especially in our main devices like Android devices. Um, Android Q, I think, Brandon, you're the only one right now that's not actually using the beta, or are you? Uh, I've I have I've used it before. I'm not I'm not using it right now. Oh, okay. I like personally. I like as annoying as the prompt might be. I like that every time I open up a new application and it accesses uh, it accesses the location services. It asks me if I want to allow the app to have it on all the time or only when I'm using the app. That's a nice little layer, and yeah, there is a certain sense of safety there. There's a certain sense of comfort when you see something like that. Um, any uh, TK, you've been using the the Q beta a little bit longer, I've, I, I assume. So yeah, yeah, no beta three right now, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think beta four is about to drop. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I think I did see that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, features like this. Do you actually dive into the Android uh, uh, privacy settings and all of the uh, permissions and whatnot? So I've, we've been so yeah. So as far as just the ability of controlling the the information access per application, we've been doing it ever since Expose. With you know, back in the day, where we one of the reasons we needed to root our device was to be able to install Expose and install X Privacy in there. It's just it was a module in there that allowed us. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that you you should you should see what applications are asking for and you should really address the fact that why does it need access to your camera when it's just a text messaging application and it doesn't actually do anything it, you also want to be able to see where your your local you know your location information is being used and that feature of just having it during the session while you're in there i think has been a long way to feature that i really i can't i can't, can't emphasize enough q is going to bring so much more privacy controls and it's definitely native now which is really nice you don't have to root one of the reasons why a lot of us don't root for these things anymore, but it's it's appreciated. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, have you ever, do you use the privacy settings or the permissions a whole lot? Like, I feel like the general user kind of doesn't, if you ask me, and they should. I, uh, I, don't, I don't think they do, and they should, because it's, it's kind of interesting, and also it can be kind of appalling. For example, like, some apps use location data in the background, and it's creepy, and it kills your battery. Like, I think... Like the weirdest apps, like a library app or something that you have, or Starbucks app, like it's constantly pulling the background so that maybe it can present you with, oh, there's a Starbucks nearby. You should, I don't know, patronize it. And it's, it's, it's killing your battery. And it's, it's fantastic to have as much granular control as possible to see what apps are doing and to question why does my library app need my location mm. i'm deleting it yeah exactly right uh as, exactly. So, as sort of a final thought here um actually you know what i got a couple of them uh to add on to this question about privacy and permissions uh brandon you mentioned in our show notes here about was it you brandon yeah it was you uh you mentioned using two-factor authentication uh also mm -hmm. perhaps like really long 128-bit passwords and whatnot is this something that you do very often? Because I use, I use um, at the very least, 64-bit passwords, mostly. Um, at least 64, usually 128. But I don't think I use two-factor authentication a whole lot. Uh, do, you, do you guys use that? Yeah, no, I, I have two-factor on, on all my Gmail accounts and uh, anything that I can, even my uh, Fortnite account. You know, my Epic game account, I have to. Isn't that required, though? That. Doesn't Epic require that? Uh, it use, it's, it's an option. Uh, oh, okay. I, I've, I've also been burned by having two-factor authentication where 
I lost the authenticator application uh, because I changed <laughs> phones and I couldn't remember which account I had logged into, so I had to set up a whole new one. But yeah, no, it's it, it's definitely worth it uh, because it takes away from. And the reason I said that is I've had many, many times accounts of mine tried to be hacked on from like China or something, another country, where people just randomly figure out what the password is for that account. And I can I get a, you just signed on from, you know, from a certain country outside of the U.S. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not me. Yeah. This just circumvents it and it adds another layer of protection that, you know, an average hacker that just figures out what a password or gets an access to a username and password, it doesn't, it doesn't work for them. And at that point, they just move on. Mm, fair enough. Brandon, any two-factor authentication? Uh, not really stories, but you, would you recommend it to our listeners and viewers? Absolutely. Uh, the, the only downside to 2FA is that it's inconvenient, especially if you're like us and you switch phones a lot. There have been several times where like, I need to put in a 2FA code or string, and I'm like, damn, that phone is probably at home right now. And... Um, but, you know, for the regular person that buys a phone and uses it for two years, since we're very abnormal, it's a no-brainer. It adds an additional layer of security that makes it physically impossible in a lot of cases, but not all, for someone to take over your account because they don't have that second part. They have their username and password, but it's like a second password on top of that. So yeah. it can really save your butt in a lot of situations. Mm. I think you guys have convinced me because I think the only place that I've ever used 2FA has been with my Blizzard account. Uh, back, yeah. back when I used to play yeah. Overwatch a lot. <laughs> That's probably the only place that I used it on the regular, but yeah. Um, and as a final thought, just something that I kind of wanted to put out there. Um, with I might, I might Hassan Minhaj this right now where we get banned. Then again, all of this stuff is banned in China anyway, so it doesn't matter. But <laughs> I wanted to bring up Huawei just for like a second because I feel like this whole conversation about privacy, it kind of makes it so that a company like Huawei that comes from a communist nation like China, it, it is an easy target. Like you can have products like that in any country whatsoever. And in the US, we do have a lot of control over our data. We are getting even more control now. And we also understand where our data is going if we take the time to look. But of course, mm -hmm. the whole thing we said last week about Huawei is that the Chinese government at any point could tell Huawei, hey, give us the data that you have. And that is that can be kind of a scary thing because when you when you live under a certain regime that is actually trying to change history or actually control history, uh, literally right now is the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square, um, the Tiananmen Square incident. And no one in China that is our age knows about it because it's literally been stricken from the books. And that's the power of, you know, what government can do if it starts to crack down on privacy or info or just data in general. Like, it's just a kind of a compelling thought that I had when we were putting together the show this week. Um, but yeah, any thoughts from, from you guys? I love, uh, I think this is TK's note over here. <laughs> I love the note because when we, we generally write down now uh, all of our thoughts, that way we know where we're going in the show. And when I wrote that bit about the about Huawei in China, TK had a great point here. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, it's really, nowadays we just need to really understand the concept of the word free and that, that there is no such thing as things are free. We are offering something of ours in exchange for that free product. To use maps, we're offering the you know the information basically of how our route was, how our experience was, and then that basically gets folded in into the entire ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So just 
as long as we understand what it is that we're giving up uh, and understand that the different layers of security built into our systems, it'll, it'll help us understand what we do and what we're offering people. And I do apologize for the noises. It's, it's, it's lunchtime where we are. <laughs> it's uh, all good. Um, yeah, but- yeah, no, no. But it's, for me, it's just, just keep in mind is, you know, whenever you use something free, uh, understand the risk that you're using uh, what, or what you're giving up in that information and don't use it for, you know, very secure things unless you have a secure server for exchange, let's say Gmail and so on. But uh, it is part of the, you know, the new age. We accept the fact that some part of our information is used. So we have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just find it so funny that all of these stories are kind of molding together. Like I, I my family watches the local news a lot. So that's why I, I, I'm privy to all of this information. So while I'm watching, while I'm watching the Apple keynote and they're talking about privacy, they're also talking about on the local news about how um, in China, Tiananmen Square, all that stuff. So it's weird how everything kind of lines up like this, you know. Uh, but in any case, I think that should pretty much do it. We've gone ahead and hit our hour mark. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to our two guests for today. I'll let you guys tell everyone where to find you. Let's start with UTK. So for me, uh, as most of you guys probably know, uh, XDA TV uh, and on YouTube, on Twitter at CKDSL8655 and as well as on my channel, TK Bay over on YouTube. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm around. All right. And then throwing it over to Brandon. Yeah, I'm just at Brandon Miniman on Twitter, and I want to say uh, congratulations to TK for reaching 100K subs on his personal YouTube. He's been working hard at That's it right. for a very long time. Thank you, Thank and, you very uh, much. Thank you for your support as well. That's uh, it's, uh, it's been a long, long journey, and uh, it started with you guys at XDA, so I appreciate it always. There we go. Keep, keep at it, man. Thank you. It's going to be great. Awesome. Uh, all right, cool. Well, I am, of course, your host, Joshua Vergara. I am found at JV Tech T. You know me. I'm JV. I love tech and I love to drink me some tea. Our handles for Twitter have been over on the side if you're watching the YouTube highlight reel, which is now a thing. Yes, uh, we are shifting away from putting the entire podcast on the YouTube channel. Uh, we may find other ways of being able to do that, but we just want to get the highlights, give them to you on the YouTube side, and then encourage you to come to the audio podcast where if you have been listening to it in your favorite podcast, podcasting application then you heard the entire conversation between myself tk bay and brandon miniman all right so we're gonna go ahead and uh, get into our outro pocket now is at pocket now on twitter facebook instagram and youtube in english and espanol where you can find more news on the pocket now daily and pocket now Adario every weekday catch up with what the weekly is talking about at pocketnow.com slash podcast and make sure you make your voices heard by emailing us at podcast at pocketnow.com we would love your feedback through reviews and ratings on google apple spotify overcast wherever you might be streaming us because without you we would not have been able to make this show for your eyes and ears for so many years at this point so we're gonna go ahead and see you uh in our next episode it's gonna get a little bit interesting for the next couple of episodes because i will actually be traveling i'm literally about 12 to 16 hours away from getting on a flight that is itself 12 to 16 hours to get to asia because i'm going to be out there for a few weeks uh celebrating my personal birthday but also having a bit of a vacation but i'm still going to be bringing you the pocket now weekly every single week even when i am traveling so look forward to some interesting episodes for the next few weeks and we will see you in those upcoming episodes thank you so much for watching and for listening